Former US President Franklin Roosevelt once said, I'm not the smartest fellow in the world, but I sure can pick smart colleagues. Building a high-impact community of people around you who are smarter or more experienced than you in a variety of different areas is one of the largest things you can do to fast-track or up the ante on your own influence. We're talking about essentially having a speed dial of your own A-team. But it's hard. Um, I know it's certainly been one of the challenges in my own journey. How do you find the right people? And then when you found them, how do you approach them? How do you not sound like some strange, deranged stalker? How do you come across as professional, but still be open enough to discuss some of the actual challenges and roadblocks that you're currently facing? And I know that having people on your side who have your back that you can have those discussion with make the world of difference to your results. And how do you get the right mix? How do you get the right mix of people who will A, kick your ass and B, wipe your tears and C, connect you to other people who might help you along your journey? How do you get that mix right? Um, I'll tell you a story. I, there is a, a woman in my world who I met about five years ago who I desperately, she just had this incredible energy about her and I desperately wanted to ask her to be on my on my board, on in my community, part of my world. And I didn't. And about a year later, I bumped into her again and we had another conversation and I still didn't ask. And then another year went by and I was on holiday in Bali and I walked into in this tiny little hotel in the middle of nowhere. And I walked into the breakfast hall and she was sat there just randomly at a table. And I walked right past her. I didn't even say hello. And I spent and the next year again, three years in, kicking myself for not having had the courage to go over and speak to her. Fourth year, I go to the same place on holiday, walk into the same breakfast hall, and she sat there again. And this time I went over to talk to her and we have become friends, you know, my husband, her husband, two years after that. And I can tell you that I still haven't asked her. So if that helps at all at the level of courage I currently have in this area of influence, then if that is my baseline, you are, you have to be a world of where I am at right now, a world ahead of where I'm at right now. Luckily for me, obviously, and luckily for you, my next guest has decoded it all. Janine Gardner is the author of the newly launched It's Who You Know, How a Network of 12 Key People Can Fast Track Your Success. She spent 20 years working across the world in corporate marketing roles for some of the world's largest brands. She then went on to be the founder and the CEO of the Little Black Dress Group, which is one of the most influential women's networking groups in the country. She's a winner of an International Stevie Award. She was listed as one of Australia's most inspiring women by Madison Magazine. And if that is not all impressive enough, she, like me, started out in Australia knowing no one as a backpacker. So we chat a little bit about that. Um, we, we went right into the difference between how we're all connected right now, but not really connected. We've got more contacts than ever before, but less engagement. And we're feeling less engaged and less connected than we have done previously. We talk about finding your board finding your board of people around you who's going to help you get where you want to go. We talk about value exchange. We talk about how do you know when it's time to move on from a certain contact or a certain group of contacts and how do you make that shift? We also talked about the role of courage, a big one for me, role of courage and certainty in reaching out and getting those connections. So without any further delay, sit back and enjoy my conversation with Janine Gardner.
Janine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Julie. You're welcome. Um, I'm going to jump straight into this because I've been reading your book over the last couple of days and I have a thousand questions. Um, and you've, you've made me go back to the drawing board on, on a few things in regards to building a community and building a network. But I'm going to kick off with the question that I always ask. And again, for those of you that haven't listened before, the reason I ask it is because when it comes to building influence, I find that there's an assumption out there that in order to be a person of influence in order to build a network or a connection of influence, you need to be an extrovert. And, you know, I have no judgment about whether that's true or whether that's not true. But for me, most of the people that I meet that are influential, it tends not to be true. And so I'm going to ask Janine, introvert or extrovert? I am an introvert, Julie, an absolute introvert, um, which often shocks everybody. And I, I fully support what you've just said there because the expectation or the perception is that I am 100% more an extrovert because of the work that I do. But the reality is I love time on my own. I love time thinking. Um, I love deep one-on-one conversation and I get my energy from, from being on my own. Um, I'm, I'm your atypical introvert that says yes to stuff and then doesn't turn up. That is a habit I have been trying to break recently, which is the saying yes, because it sounds like such a fabulous idea and I do genuinely want to do it. And then you get to the day and you think, no, actually, actually, I just need to recharge. Yeah, I just need to sit here and watch another episode of Suits on my own. Thank you very much. <laughs> Mine's Billions right now, if you haven't watched Billions. Oh, yes, that's a good check one. Check it I out. I love that one. Um, one of the things you said in your book, which um, it's Who You Know is the book, and if you haven't read it, pick up a copy. Pick up a copy and read it. You said stop faking it until you make it around this whole introvert-extrovert question, yeah. which – you know, I'm a big fan of Amy Cuddy's work. And one of the things that she says is fake it until you become it. So talk to me about that. Stop faking it. Until you, stop pretending to be an extrovert when you're an introvert. Yeah, well, I think it follows on from the point you just made that there is a, a, a perception, uh, an unconscious belief that to be a successful entrepreneur or a successful speaker or successful in business that you've got to be seen and heard. On top of that, and we are surrounded by social media, which seems to be all about building numbers and get as many people to connect with you as possible. And then finally, when you look at a lot of um, your face-to-face networking events, it's all about filling a room with lots and lots of people. And for the introvert out there, it's our biggest nightmare. And my point about stop faking it till you make it is actually embrace who you are. So if you are an introvert, network in a way that serves you because only when you do that, are you able to gift the best of yourself to others? So the best way for an introvert to network is to go for a coffee, to have lunch with four people, uh, to have a dinner party of 10, um, to ask somebody to make that introduction. Whereas an extrovert comes alive in a room of 1500 people and the chance to sort of uh, connect with as many people and connect as many business cards as possible and all that sort of stuff. So my point about stop faking it you make it is more about if you want to be the best of yourself and gift the best of yourself to others to make those deep connections, then network in a way that serves you um, versus the way that you think 
you should be doing it. Yeah, you reminded me back in the days when, you know, we used to go to networking events. It was actually part of the job description. I remember one of the very first jobs I had, you had to go to X amount of networking events and you had to hand out all these business cards and, you know, I wasn't very good at it then. And I was having this conversation with Colin James about a week ago. Mm -hmm. I was interviewing him for, for the podcast also. And and he is a deep, deep yes. introvert, a deep, deep introvert. And yet some of the most fascinating conversations I've ever had from a growth point of view are with him. Oh. Yeah. And it's when, you know, we found ourselves in a room and we've gone and, and sat in a corner and just mm-hmm. talked something through, given it the yeah. space. Mm-hmm. And so what you're saying is as an introvert, it doesn't mean that you can't make connections. You've just got to set up the situation in which you're most comfortable. Absolutely right. It's 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 working out what that is. So um, oh, I love Colin James and all that he is, and anyone that knows him knows he is a master at performance, at delivery on stage, at sharing his message. And I am totally aligned with you, Julie. It is that one-on-one conversation with him, or with a another introvert, where the depth the depth comes because it's it's just how we operate. Um, and like you, there's there's no judgment. You know the extroverts the introverts have all got something to give and I think part of you know like we talk about diversity of leadership or diversity of society it's the same here um, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert you have got value to bring to a conversation and it's our ability to be respectful of each other's personality types to get the best out of that. And equally, I would imagine if you're trying to connect with an introvert, even if you're an extrovert, setting up the the context so that you can get the most out of that interaction. So not just because you happen to enjoy wide open spaces and a lot of noise, building it for the person that you're trying to connect with as opposed to yourself. That's exactly it. I have a wonderful client who is a, a very deep introvert, probably very similar to, to Colin. And uh, I know when we catch up, I've got to be really careful and make sure that if it's in a cafe, it's not a noisy cafe, there's not loud music. Uh, we have better sessions sitting on a bench overlooking the ocean. And um, Whereas the extroverts that I work with one-on-one, it's a totally different, totally different experience. And, and it's that. I think it's that. It's more about becoming aware and present um, about the person that you're trying to connect with, do business with, create a relationship with, um, versus just thinking about yourself. I had a a speaker that I used to manage and if I wanted to have a a good conversation with him, a conversation with some depth, I used to take him to the basketball court just around Mm -hmm. the corner from our office and we would shoot hoops and I am not an athletic person, but I found if I sat him in a room, I couldn't get anywhere. He would fidget and be distracted. But if I kept him moving, we could have a really good conversation, which is counterintuitive because we were actually doing something else at the time. It's about working with caring enough to work with the person you're trying to connect with. Yeah, that's absolutely it. It's it's that awareness piece. What can you do uh, and how best can you operate to gift them the best of you and allow them to be the best of themselves? In your in your book, you talked about the fact that we are all we're all connected, but we're not connected. Yeah, <laughs> we're in, which I think that most people, anyone listening to this, can relate to. You know, we yeah. we're in this sphere now where we seem to be collecting contacts. Yeah, you know, we we collect people on LinkedIn, we collect people on Facebook. There are even algorithms and companies that allow us to pay to collect people on Instagram. So yeah. we're building these huge, huge networks. Yet. 
we're less connected and feeling less supported we on are. our journeys than ever before. We are. I mean, the, the reality is the explosion of ability to connect through social media has no, no doubt changed the world in which we're operating. And I love the fact that, you know, through social media, it's allowing people to connect more than ever before, i.e. make contact with, to follow each other, to reconnect with people that you may have known a long time ago, or even to find people um, that you can meet. Um, But the challenge um, is that when you look at all the stats out there in terms of well-being or how people are feeling, it almost seems that the increase in connection is actually also driven and a parallel increase in disconnection. Um, The statistics around the levels of loneliness that people are experiencing, uh, the fear of missing out, um, the comparison that we go into um, because of this sort of superficial connection that's going on are, are insane. Now, I'm not saying that we should stop all of that stuff because the reality is is whether you are working in a corporate or in your own business, we need numbers to build our business. Um, We need to transact and build sales funnel to create sales leads to hopefully convert and see that growth within our own business or in our own careers. What I'm suggesting um, in the book, It's Who You Know, is that the bit that's missing is this ability to build deep connections for you. So what I'm calling transformational connections. So uh, networking as we know it in terms of building a whole heap of list. Yes, perfect for business. It's commercially smart. It's the right thing to do. But when you think about you and you think about you as yourself and your dreams and your goals and your aspirations and your plans, if you are smack bang in the middle of a core group of people that are helping you achieve those dreams to see more, to teach you more, to hold you accountable, who are those people? Who are the core people within your circle of influence that are acting like your marketing machine or your board of advisors um, or your intelligence bank? Who are they? And it's surprising through the research that I did in pulling this book together how many people are not thinking about it in this way. And yet to me, it's the tipping point between you achieving the success that you want versus you just existing in a business that's growing. You know, you arrived here 17 years ago. I arrived here 15 years ago. I don't know about you, but I literally, I arrived, I had a backpack and I arrived with a bunch of travelers and then I decided I was going to stay. I looked around this beautiful city and I was like, do you know what? Why would I go home? I'm going to stay here. And I remember this moment where everybody had left and they took the furniture with them, by the way. And I was sat on the floor of this apartment and I literally had a poster on the wall, just one. And I was staring at this poster and I was having a Bridget Jones moment of, I could die here. (laughs) Nobody would ever know. And just wondering, what have I done? I don't know anybody. I'm so far away from any connections or support network or anybody that can help me. And I was very lucky as in not so long after that, by putting myself out there, I did, I found an amazing connector who happened to go on to be my business partner and and my journey kind of went from there. But I want to talk about you, you know, where did, where did you start when you arrived 17 years ago? 
How did you probably begin this journey? Uh, probably in a very similar place, actually. I arrived with a backpack, so I started my career in the UK. And then... Um, Three sarongs and a pair of flip-flops? I, well, I literally packed up my life in the UK. So I'd come over here on holiday with... The, the guy that's now my husband, and landed back in London, hit the M25 in February. Um, so was faced with the chaos of the M25 and it being dark at three o'clock after being in Australia with sunshine and blue skies. And I just went, this is just insane. And I applied for residency and got my residency and had to leave the UK six months later. So I pretty much left a job, sold the car, sold everything and arrived here in Australia so 17 years ago with my now husband and a backpack and we traveled around for six months and then started trying to find work in Melbourne and interestingly um, I can still remember finding it was really hard to find work you know my background is uh, marketing brand building um, I started work when sort of CRM and database loyalty schemes were, were the big thing so we built a massive database for the company that I was working with and launching brands and working, you know, through Europe and the US, etc. And arrived here and really struggled finding work. And I remember meeting somebody from one of the, the big four consultant companies, a, a lady, and she sat me down and she went, Janine, you know what you've got to do? Uh, you've got to pretend that you don't know the answer sometimes and wear pink. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked and I, I went, don't even know what, what to say to that. <laughs> well, I literally went, what have I let myself in for? Because in the UK, and I'm sure you'll remember this, you're pretty much trained to know your stuff, you know, prepare for your yeah, interviews. Yeah, be bulletproof. Oh, my goodness. So I subsequently decided to throw that advice to the wind and wrote a whole heap of cover letters about why I wanted to be a Spice Girl. And that in itself got me a lot of interviews. And I um, <laughs> Which Spice Girl? <laughs> just begs the question. Uh, I don't know if I even, I can't remember whether I even mentioned one. It was just this concept of why I wanted to be a Spice Girl. And it was my whole cover letter and resume. And um, my husband and I arrived, we decided to come up to Sydney and we arrived in Sydney and had nowhere to live. We still had our backpacks. We pretty much slept on a friend's floor for three months and pretty much rebuilt life over the last 17 years. And I now got three children, married and, you know, my own business. Um, in terms of where it all started, you know, as with most of us, it was about getting a job. Um, and what I realized as I sort of progressed and started rebuilding my career here, uh, my last, I call it my last proper job, I was group marketing director at Oriton Group. So I was looking after the Oriton brand and the Ralph Lauren brand. Um, and what I realized over the course of building my corporate career in Australia was the, similarly to what we've just been talking about, that as connected as I was, I wasn't actually connected. Um, I was giving a lot to the company, uh, to my key stakeholders, to overseas stakeholders, to the media, had an awesome team. And throughout it all, then coming home and three young kids at the time who were, still have them, but at the time they were um, under seven, I think, and were working full time and realized that I wasn't feeding my own um, intellect. I was missing out. So I was existing and I was doing my job and I was doing a great job, but I wasn't necessarily growing myself. And that was the tipping point for me that really started me on the journey that I'm on now, where I um, reached out to other businesswomen 
that I respected in Sydney and invited them for dinner um, on the basis that let's have a chat. Um, I want to explore what you're thinking, what's going on in your industry. And these are women that I didn't necessarily know, but I reached out to them. And that dinner, that first dinner where there were eight of us around the table has subsequently now become the network that I run, which is LBD Group. What I realized over the course of then building this network and all the other work is this concept of connection. Um, The work that I've done since leaving corporate, my entrepreneurial work, um, and even looking back um, as you do, I think, at times when you look back over your life and those key tipping points in your life, I realize that what I'm doing now is what I've always done. Um, I've always naturally um, joined dots for people before they can see them. I've made connections. I am um, great at being able to see ahead in terms of strategically what businesses should be doing and then putting in place the right people with the right information to get there. And fundamentally, it's it's, it's that driver of finding the brilliance and then um, empowering that brilliance to shine brighter, to create extraordinary results. And that's what I'm all about now. There was a there was a point in time about a year ago where I was looking back on my career and I was just having a look at, you know, what I had learned and what I wanted to repeat and what I didn't want to repeat. And the same thing kept appearing over and over again. And that was that the biggest things that have happened in my life, the ones that have had the largest impact in me and my journey and my influence actually weren't me. And it's such a humbling, humbling moment because it, they weren't me. They were nothing that I did. It was, it was not me striving or stressing or pushing or pulling. They were just moments where somebody stepped in for me or somebody approached me and offered to help. And it, often it feels like it comes from nowhere, but it doesn't. It, you know, it comes from putting yourself out there time and time again. However, there's only so much you can do on your own. And those oh, big yes. leaps happen when someone steps in for you. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And they don't just plant the idea. They have your back. Yes. Um, yeah. And that's the key. <clears throat> you, you quoted in your book, um, former U.S. President Franklin yeah. Roosevelt, mm. who had said, I'm not the smartest fellow in the world, but I can sure pick some smart colleagues. Mm-hmm. And I loved that because having my background is building a talent agency Mm. for speakers. And it's something that I had to learn to do very quickly, build a team of incredibly smart people, a a diversity of incredibly smart people, because that's what a talent management company is. It's Mm. people that you have signed that represent different facets of, of a market need. And we used to have what we would call internally, it's probably the first time I'm saying it externally, we had what we would call the stalking list. Yes. And it, was, <laughs> it came about. I love it. Because it was literally people we were, or I was, because that was my job. I was stalking and how far I had got with stalking them and ideas to stalk them. And I got very good at, at stalking people. And yes. I got very good at building a radar and keeping a radar on who I could stalk and how I could stalk them what's what's your radar like how do you how do you keep your bandwidth open enough with everything else you've got going on mm. to go right that's a person that mm-hmm. I that I need in my network that I can either add value to or can add value to my journey that I want to be closer to yeah um there's one word curiosity um I pretty much live my waking hours with a constant air of curiosity um 
I am really present with everybody I meet, and that's been a something I've, I've had to work really hard at. Um, but what I found is that instead of going into a situation. Uh, being so prepared, uh, having you know that proposal sorted out, or worrying about what I'm going to say, just this this um, willingness to be curious about where the conversation is going to go, who that person is, and what their driver is, has created so much opportunity, um, both commercial opportunity in terms of business opportunity, but also opportunity to add that person to my network or opportunity for me to gift them something. And I, that is the single uh, most important thing for me right now. I believe that everybody has got something to give. And whether that be the taxi driver in the street, whether that be the person doing my coffee in the morning, whether that be the person packing my groceries at the supermarket, it doesn't matter who they are. I am very um, clear about connecting with every single person with a sense of curiosity around, I wonder what I could do to help this person today. And, and it works. Um, I was telling my assistant today about being in Brisbane about six weeks ago and I jumped into a cab and there was this 75 year old guy driving the cab. And I, as I always do, I was asking him about his life story and what he had done. And he was talking to me about arriving in Brisbane as a refugee and telling me this wonderful, wonderful story. And then I asked him, you know, what, how are you coping when you're still driving around and why are you doing this? You know, Brisbane's changing so much. I'm sure you must have seen so much, you know, what, What's the advice you would give? And he literally just said to me, he said, you know what? Yes, the world is changing. And we all have to be open to that change because through change comes incredible learning. And when I stop being happy and interested in change, that's when I start dying. And I went, wow, profound. Thank you for gifting me that just, it was just this little snippet from a 75-year-old taxi driver whose name I cannot remember, but I can see his face. And I think there are so many, so many opportunities every single one of us misses. One of my things I say to everybody I meet is opportunity is absolutely everywhere. You just have to open your eyes to see it. You have to open your ears to hear it. And most of all, you have to switch on your mindset to be open to the possibility of what you can learn in that moment. And honestly, Julie, that's that's how I've built my business. Um, It really is just through a constant curiosity around the what if and the possibility. You... You suggested in your book that four is the magic number, which yes. I love because four to me, as busy as my, yeah, <laughs> as busy as my life is, four I can I can digest four. Four I can do, yeah. um, and those four were promoters, teachers, pit crew, and butt kickers. Yeah. Why Why is that mix important? Well, I think four is a magic number. Um, And when you look at anything, this number four just keeps popping up. Um, You look at the universe and you've got fire, air, water and earth. You look at a boardroom and ideally you should have a CEO, a COO, a CFO and a CIO. And each of those is similar. So the, Mm. the CEO really should be the fire behind the business. The CEO is the carer, um, the water behind the business. Your CIO is your thinker and your future 
ideas and then you've got the CFO which is the equivalent of of the earth the here and now and what is going on um, you know I have a bit of fun in the book and I talk about sporting teams and TV shows sex in the city a classic example where you've got four characters which you can oh, eat I love that you mentioned sex in the city yeah, I, I know, it's I like a it secret time. dirty pleasure of mine it is isn't it and you, you still watch it now you're like oh my god I still love this show and then my husband uh, picked me up on it the other day he said you know you you always talk about how sexist a lot of television shows are, yet you sit here and watch Sex in the City. I know. I was like, I, I know. know. Don't tell anyone. It's a dead pleasure. I know. It's terrible. Um, but yeah, Sex in the City. Um, I think I talk about Harry Potter in the book too, about the four houses. And so what I started exploring was this concept of, okay, if you were people, who would be the equivalent of the fire, the water, the air, and the earth? So it's based on Carl Jung's archetypes. And that's where these four key people come from. So the fire, the equivalent of your fire is your promoter and they're all about helping you become more uh, they're stretching you from your present your current into the future of what it is that you want to become so the promoter really is um your equivalent the equivalent of your ceo of your cheer squad they're raving about you they're telling everybody how amazing you are they're creating possibility for you and inspiring you to sort of dream big uh, they're lighting that fire in your belly so that's the first group that i think we have to have and it's important that we have those because it really is the future of thinking it's the dreaming big it's the disruption it's the inspiration stuff that we need otherwise we risk sitting in status quo and just not moving the second group of people are those those pit crew people and these are the equivalent of water in terms of that that universal archetypes and these are the people that are helping you care more to be present um, to ensure that um, untoward emotions don't get in the way of the decisions that you're making they're keeping you on track and they're nurturing you and again, these people are really important because particularly if you are a big picture entrepreneurial person, we can we can often move so quickly that we forget about the present. We forget to celebrate the progress because we're chasing perfection. Um, we can get so wrapped in, up in our own heads that we forget about those important people around us or we forget about ourselves. This, this wonderful need, I think, to be successful of balancing the mind, the body and the spirit. Um, um, and most successful people do that. So that's the critical role of the pit crew. Um, often when I'm talking about the pit crew, I tell this story of um, a, a guy called Captain Charlie Plum. He flew in the Vietnam War. Uh, he flew 75 missions successfully. On the 76th, he was shot down and he was captured. He was held prisoner of war camp. And he tells this story about uh, many years later having dinner in the U.S. and this complete stranger approaches him and says to him, you're Captain Charlie Plum. And Captain Charlie Plum turns to this stranger and says, yeah, I am. And the, tra- the stranger follows up with his whole story. You know, you flew in the Vietnam War, you flew, I think, sorry, 74 missions successfully, 75th, you were shot down, you were a prisoner of war for six years. And Captain Charlie Plum turns to this stranger and says, that's right, how on earth do you know that? And the stranger turns to Captain Charlie Plum and says, because I packed your parachute. And to me, this is the critical role of this pit crew. Who's packing your parachute? 
Mm. Who is supporting you? Who has your back? Um, who would be there for you? They don't give a damn about how much money you're earning, how much media coverage you're getting, what your job title is. They care about you. And I think from the work that I do currently, this is one of the key people that are missing from a lot of people's mm. networks. And I love that, that question. Who's, who's packing your parachute? Who yeah. packs your parachute? You packs your parachute, and it's it, it. People get quite emotional when I challenge them on that because it's this realization of shit. Yeah, I, I don't have anyone, especially um, for entrepreneurs. I think. Yeah, and we need, we absolutely need one. We absolutely need one, and particularly when so many people are voicing that they're lonely at the top. Yeah. This is the key person that will allow them. Uh, to cry, to have the tears, to have mm. the frustration, to be their sounding board because they care about you. They don't care about anything else. They care about you. So that's the second group. The third group, which are the equivalent of air, the equivalent of your CIO in the board are the teachers. And it surprises me how many people, you know, educate themselves academically and then they think their time's done. They know everything. And yet we need to keep learning. Um, I think it was Richard Branson that said when we stop learning, it is when we die and I'm such a believer in this Uh, we have an amazing brain and yet we're only using a part of it and the teachers uh, which are this 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 quadrant are very much around helping you become smarter. They're developing your knowledge, your wisdom, your foresight so that you can become the master of what it is that you are doing. And they challenge your thinking. Um, They're really stretching your knowledge base. And we need these people because these are the people, again, that will help us uh, become the best version of ourselves and move from the present into that future. They're pushing us to really uh, develop mastery of our expertise. And then the final group of people, the final quadrant are what I call the butt kickers. Um, so these are the equivalent of the of the earth, of the CFO and a board in an organization. And the butt kickers are all about accelerating your journey. Um, they, they are the masters of getting shit done. Um, they're saying to you, okay, you've told me you want to grow your business from here to here. You've told me you want to launch a podcast. You've told me you want a promotion. What are you doing about it? And we hate them because <laughs> Literally, <laughs> don't we just? But we we need them, and I talk about in my book how you know for me this was the critical person I needed to help me transition from the relative safety of my corporate job, you know, the six-figure salary and the the contact base and the sick pay and the holiday pay into a world of unknown. And my butt kicker at the time, my my mentor at the time, who is is very much now uh, my professor, and I'm a partner with him at Thought Leaders Global, Matt Church, um, he was my master butt kicker. He was my accelerator. It's like, Janine, come on. Get on with it. What do you believe in? What is your thought leadership? Let's get this book written. You can do it. Da, 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 da. I hated him. Absolutely hated him. But we need it because they force you out of your comfort zone. Mm. They make you do stuff. They create action behind those dreams, which fundamentally gets momentum towards whatever vision it is. So it's those four people. And I I, uh, suggest in the book that actually it's really easy to once you've identified them, that's the network of you that needs your commitment, your intensity, uh, the value exchange, uh, your time, because working and nurturing those relationships will take you from here to tomorrow. 
Mm. And, and often it doesn't take long. I know we had yeah. a, um, we were lucky enough to get an ex venture capitalist as our butt kicker. And he yeah. literally, he was retired. He had very little time and he had no patience and yeah. he would come into the office straight from the golf course and he would sit down and you'd have 20 minutes and you would tell him what you were working on and he would just slice me, us to pieces yeah. around what we've done, what we said we wanted to do. What are you doing now? Nope, you shouldn't be doing that. Waste of your time. Move on. And it's essentially somebody who just looks at the playing field for you and goes, there's a landmine there. There's yeah. another one there. Avoid yeah. it. Stop whinging. Get up. Move yeah. on. Yeah. And it's a, you'd come out, I used to call it a verbal headbutt. You'd come out thinking, oh God, <laughs> I oh. thought I was doing okay. <laughs> but yeah. apparently not. Yeah. But vital absolutely vital um i was talking to who i would say is a, a someone who has mastery at building a community emma isaacs who's built yes. you know this She's huge awesome. community yeah. and we were talking about you know her philosophies and she was saying you know i'm in this for the long term just for the few of you who might not know emma isaacs is the founder of business chicks australia's largest and the most influential community for women okay back to the interview and no. it's not just about this one interaction. I'm in it for the long term. This is yep. this is years. I can contribute to a relationship without any expectation for years because this is a person that I want to be associated with. So where's that? We, we talked about stalking earlier. Mm. And another one, Dan Gregory, that you mentioned, he yes. told me that he he wanted to get into advertising and he rang Simon Reynolds' as PA yeah. every day for months. Yeah. Where's that line and what are some of the mistakes people make where you want someone to be part of your network, Yeah. you don't want to be a stalker, but at the same time, you don't want to give up? Well, I think I think there's nothing wrong in being a stalker, to be honest, as I'm long so as you're glad. doing it in the right way. I think, you know, in a world where it, it's so busy, in a world where everybody's exactly the same, you've got to get noticed. Um, and this is where that resistance and persistence piece comes from. Um, I think the key is you've got to be respectful of other people's time. And there's a difference between stalking in terms of, can I have a coffee with you? Can I have a coffee with you? Can I have a coffee with you? And a reason behind the stalking so one of the suggestions i make in the book and again i've spoken to so many um people that support this in terms of people in leadership positions or very successful entrepreneurs and even myself um, and i say to people you know if you want to get in touch with someone think about why you want to get in touch with someone so the worst thing you can do is stalk with no reason can i take you for coffee i want to have a coffee can i take you for lunch but if you go I really admire um, how you, as a woman, have built this business and are now a partner in X organization. And I'd love to find out from you the top three tips that you could give me because I'm inspired by your journey. Mm, so being specific. Yeah. Then most people at some point when you get into their diaries will want to connect with you and this is that value exchange piece i think there's too many of us and and to some extent social media has driven this right because you can connect with anyone by just pressing a button if someone rings me or contacts me through the website with a very bland i'd love to talk to you uh, have you got some time i push back and i say would love to but can you give me a bit more information about why you want to meet and it's an incredible way of actually working out for me the tire kickers versus those that are genuine because suddenly when you put it back on that individual so if it was you stalking and you've taken the time to think about why you want to connect 
there has to be that value exchange. But if you're just randomly sending out a blank list to 100 people that you'd love to interview with no reason behind it, then we can, it's, you can smell it. You can, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious and it's just you won't get that connection piece. So I'm all for stalking, but stalking with intent, um, stalking with a reason and an interest and the fact that you have thought about why you want to connect in with that person. Mm. I want to talk um, a little bit about the role of courage and yes. certainty. And a, a current fascination of mine is the word certainty. Yeah. And, you know, there are certain people that you meet that seem to have that certainty about them and others who are still working on it. And the most influential people that I have ever met all have this gravity about them, this sense of certainty. Mm. Mm. And in what you're talking about, there's, there's two levels of vulnerability there. There's one in the asking, there's one in the yes. approach yeah. in the saying, you know, would you, would you meet with me? I don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And the other one is in the divulging of yourself. In yeah. that, you get in the diary, you sit down over a coffee and you can have a conversation where you both discuss how wonderful everything is, or, you know, you've got limited time, you can get into it and have a discussion about how it really is. How do you get past that fear? How do you develop your certainty, your courage, whatever, whatever you want to call it to actually make a connection with somebody that's valuable? Um, I think it takes a lot of practice, to be honest. I think every one of us has our insecurities, uh, the stuff that gets in the way, uh, the self-doubt, the lack of confidence. Um, and like trying to lose weight, run a marathon, get better at your job. I think courage is one of those things that we have to work on and constantly develop. And it takes practice. I think there's very few people that have it from from word go. Everybody has something that gets in the way. For me, um, you know, in those early days, it, it absolutely was about getting um, the right people around me, whether it be um, the butt kicker, the mat church of this world, or teachers. I also invested a lot in uh, a personal coach to work on mindset stuff. Um, but it, ongoing, even now, it, it's to, it's, it comes down to your self-belief and your conviction in what it is that you are either selling or you're asking. Um, The vulnerability piece to me now I see as almost like one of those unwritten uh, styles of leadership where it's an incredible strength. Um, I think the more of us that are willing to share not just our strengths and what it is that we have to offer, but equally our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses and our stories, that provides an incredible opportunity and gift to others to support you. Um, It's one of the things I encourage the women in my network to do. I think if we are going to create a future pipeline of incredible leaders, then it's up to us to share the real stories behind our success, the real challenges we've faced, the real times we've been on the floor in tears, uh, wondering about whether this is actually going to, it's all worth it. And we have all been there. And we've all been there, but how many times do you actually read that or hear that on a stage in a magazine on whatever platform that we have to do it so i don't know if there's there's one one specific answer or training program you can go on because it's an individual thing and it requires you to really dig deep 
to really work out what is getting in the way, what is stopping your courage, what is the stuff you're scared of. And for some of us, like I did, I had to work through that. I had to invest in my own personal development to build my confidence. And now I am, I'm so clear on why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, what gets me out of bed in the morning, that mm. with that I think comes the conviction and the certainty piece. Equally, you know, and whether this is an age thing, Julie, I have no idea, but quite frankly, I I don't care what people think about me anymore. Um, I am turning into one of those grumpy old women, I, I think. I think there is something to be there is something to be said, actually, for, for the passage of time and I how you feel about is. that. I think it is. I think it's the passage of time. I've got three children. They are an incredible gift to me every day where I'm always they're teaching me stuff about myself. And I've just realized that, you know, this is me. This is what I'm great at. This is my story. I love Brené Brown and she talks about your background and your story. You can either own it and move forward mm. or you can sit in it and stay still. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. And mm. I think every one of us has a story and that story creates the person that we are becoming if we can own it. And if we can share that story, we can gift it to so many people. Mm. And I've, I've becoming, a, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not a master of it. And it's a constant learning journey for me, where I am sharing more and more and more of I, myself at every opportunity. And the gift that I get in return for doing that is phenomenal. And the impact it has on others by people going, oh my God, that's what's been going on with me mm. is phenomenal. And I think as leaders um, in organizations or in your own business, the more real we can be, the more ourselves we can be, the more we can own our stuff, that's our uniqueness. And it's the uniqueness that will st- stand us apart from the masses that, that are out there. And also having the... Once you have that clarity, once you have that mm. clarity about this is what I'm about, this is what yeah. I'm hoping to achieve, this is the difference that I think it will make and this is the reason that I'm doing it, it, it stops it being about you anymore. Yeah, yeah. And once it's not about you, yeah. you can face so many more rejections because it's yeah. literally it's not personal anymore. No. It's not about whether you like me or dislike me. It's not about whether I think that I'm doing the best job in the world. It's I'm, I'm out to do this thing and I'm going to yeah. do whatever it takes, show yeah. up as many times as it takes to yeah. do this thing. And that gives you a sense of resilience, I think, that is missing if you don't have the clarity. Yeah, no, absolutely. Not um, everyone's going to like you. It's okay. <laughs> I well, I talk about, you know, it's science. You know, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. It's literally physics. For yeah. every time you stand up and say something, there will be someone that doesn't agree. And for every time you show up into a room, there's going to be someone that doesn't resonate with you. Yeah. It's, it's science. You, you've got to let it go. Yes. Um, I'm going to finish because I know we've got a hard stop today. And I just want to finish on one question. You know, we're talking about yes. clarity and we're talking yeah. about you being a master at owning your space and owning your voice and going out there and finding people that can help you amplify mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to end with a question I always ask, which is if I were to give you somehow with my magical powers, if I were to give you a stage and a microphone and in front of you, I could put every single person that you would ever want to influence. What's your one thing? What's your one thing you would want them to know? Oh, I, gosh, I'm just even visualizing that. If if I, it's like if I had a superpower, um, that's such a good way of putting just, it. it is, if I am a superpower and a magic wand, and I could just say a magic word, it would be believe you can. I think it's it's this belief piece um, in whatever it is that you're doing, and yourself um, is the master 
power behind growth and sitting still. And that belief drives you. Um, so it's that believe you can just, just get on with it. Um, because everybody's here for a reason. And if you believe that you can do it, you will do it. You will do it. You'll meet the right people. You make the right decisions. Yes. You'll have times that are pretty damn horrible, but the belief is what gets you through it. It feeds the resilience. It feeds the conviction. It feeds the confidence. It feeds the people you meet. And it's that belief piece, um, that, that to me is the difference. Well, thank you so much. I know that there are a lot of resources for anybody that wants to know more about building a community and building connections, using the power of a board around you, those four key people to up your influence. There's a, a ton of resources on, on Janine's website. So thank you, Janine, for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and found lots of useful insights and ideas for growing your influence. You can find out a little bit more about me and the work that I do by jumping on my website, juliemasters.com, or by following me on Instagram, jules.masters. If you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes. And also don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an interview.